it's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show. I hope everybody out there that's listening is having a truly awesome day. Um, the show as we know it uh, has always been to help connect the four facets of who we are. So it's the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, and the intellectual part. And I think that uh, my guests, as they come onto the show, all represent a facet of that in their specialty. Um, but the uh, one thing that I want to point out, and I've been pointing this out, is that 2020, you know, was such a tough year for everyone, emotionally, but particularly physically. And um, I think uh, intellectually, you know, we didn't get a chance maybe to be out there experiencing life certainly quite the way that we normally would experience it. And so I remind people, please check out my website. It's www.SynergyConnectionRadio.com. And on that website, you are going to see a link to Boomers Forever Young. Uh, they do have amazing world-class products, and I encourage everybody to at least check out the videos and the um, you know, different recommendations that are being made uh, on, the, on their website. Um, one of the most important things that we can do is to know our inflammation level, and that's done with a C-reactive protein test. Um, you need to make sure that that's under the number one, and also your immune system function, and that should be a 70 or greater, um, and that is also a blood test that can be easily done. It's a D3, so if you need to take you know, extra vitamin D3 to bump it up, then please do so. And if you need to get your inflammation down, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. So check out Boomers Forever Young and look and see what they might have that can help you take charge of your health. Uh, that's critically important anymore, especially as we have moved into half of 2021 and we're looking at the variants and wondering, you know, what's next? Are we going to have to have more vaccinations in order to protect us from these different variants that are going to morph from uh, what was COVID-19. Um, all right, so I have, as a returning guest, uh, Connie Manson, and Connie is the creator and artistic director for Starlight Puppets, and I think this is such a fun show because how often do we get to be children again? And uh, I think she kind of allows us to do that. Um, Starlight Puppets is dedicated to sharing the art of storytelling with puppetry and live music. And so these two areas are woven together in a way that delights, inspires creativity, and encourages a sense of wonder and possibility. And I know that Connie, this summer, is in parks um, and you know, showing, um, I guess, moms and dads and, and children that are maybe free for the summertime um, you know, some of her wonderful talent. And then she's in the school system you know, during the school year, the academic school year. And all of these puppets, guys, are hand sculpted. Uh, they use natural fibers, and she teaches others who want to learn how to create their own puppets. Uh, she can help you do that as well. So we are gonna be doing a fun um, show today, and it's a play that uses puppets 
Uh, it was done in grade schools, and uh, Connie's done this particular production in the past with children. I got to see some of the pictures, and uh, it's so cool because they the kids have their costumes, but then they've created these puppets. And in this particular one, it's about a snake. It's a magical snake, and it's part of the African culture, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, without further ado, I'm going to turn the show over to you and uh, become one of the uh, listeners um, and just transport me into this magical place. Yes. So, um, listen, listen, and you will hear the sounds and wonders of the village in the forest. The people here live close to nature. Listen and see what happens. A woodcutter and his wife had two children, a boy and a girl. But while the girl was beautiful and kind, the boy was wild and selfish and refused to obey his parents. They all dwelt together in a pleasant village and after some years, the father managed to make sufficient profit from his woodcuttering for them to live very comfortably so that they were scarcely ever hungry. Time passed and the father grew old. One day when he came back from his work in the forest, he lay on his bed in the hut refusing all food. And within a few hours the family realized that he was dying. Come here my children, he called in a quavering voice. The brother and sister, who had now grown up, approached the bed and knelt beside it while the old man said to his son, I am about to die. What would you rather have when I am gone? My property or my blessing? For both you cannot have. Without hesitation, the young man replied, I will have your property. Then the father asked his daughter the same question and she answered, I would like your blessing, father. So he laid his hands on her head gave her his blessing and fell back upon the pillow and passed into the next world. The family mourned for several days and after the funeral feast the mother too became ill and passed into the other world within a few days so that now the brother and sister were left alone in the world. A few days after the brother came into the hut where his sister was sitting and announced Everything that belonged to my father and my mother now belongs to me. You must collect it all together and pile it outside the hut, and I will take it away to my house on the other side of the village. The woman did as she was told, and her brother came with carriers who took away everything, beds, stools, cloths, weapons, water pots. Nothing was left. As the villagers stood by, watching the hunt, hut being emptied. They remonstrated with the brother, exclaiming, Surely you will leave your sister something. How can she live in a completely empty hut? Some of the people who had known the brother since childhood began shouting at him for his greed. So at last, to quiet them, he gave his sister a cooking pot, a pestle, and a mortar, and said grudgingly, She only asked for a blessing while I asked for the property. Therefore, she is not entitled to any of my parents' goods. 
but I will give her these three things so that she will not starve since you pester me so. Then he followed the carriers back to his house, leaving his sister with no food or furniture and heedless of how she would manage to live. The neighbors were sorry for the girl, but as most of them were also poor, they could not help her much. They came to borrow her pestle and mortar, and in return they would give her a little corn so that she did not starve, although she was often very hungry. She even searched the floor and rafters of her hut to see whether her brother had overlooked anything which she could sell. But all she found was a large pumpkin seed. This she decided to plant behind the house, where soon it grew to an enormous size and promised to bear much fruit. About this time her brother made inquiries and was told that his sister was managing to, managing to live on the food the neighbors gave her in return for a loan of the pestle and mortar, which he had so reluctantly given her. I would not have left her anything at all, had I realized she was going to profit by it, he exclaimed. And when evening came, he walked straight into her hut, seized the pestle and mortar and the cooking pot, and took them away without a word. The poor young woman was desperate. She tossed and turned all night, wondering how she would manage to live. And then she remembered her pumpkin plant. At the first light of day, she left her hut and went to look at the place where she had planted the seed. She was delighted to find the plant covered in big green pumpkins. How lucky I am, she exclaimed, and cutting several of the largest, she took them to the market and sold them for a good price. When people ate these pumpkins, they were surprised at the sweet flavor and soon returned to ask the woman for more. Every day she picked a large pile of pumpkins to sell, and the next morning she always found there were many more ripe and ready for eating. So for several weeks she made a handsome profit and was able to buy herself a bed, furnish her house comfortably, and fill her storeroom with grain for use in the lean, dry season. But one day, her brother's new wife sent their servant to buy one of the pumpkins, which were by now well known throughout the land. When the sister realized whose servant she was, she gave her a pumpkin for nothing, since she had no wish to take payment from her brother. Of course, the servant was delighted and soon the news reached the selfish brother that his sister had made so much profit from selling pumpkins that she was now able to give them away. He was furious and said to his wife, Tomorrow morning I shall go to my sister's compound and pull up her pumpkin plant. Why should she sell them and become rich? She asked for blessings, not wealth, and I am determined to see that this is all she shall have. Early the next day, he strove over to, her sister's, to his sister's hut and called loudly at the door. Sister, show me where your pumpkin plant grows. Why do you want to know that, she answered. It is behind the house near the well. 
Then, fearing that her brother meant to harm the plant, as indeed he did, she rushed into the compound and stood be beside the trailing creepers, which were covered with green leaves and delicious fruit. Pulling his knife from his belt, the brother exclaimed, I am going to cut this pumpkin plant and pull up its roots. You've no business to have such a prosperous plant in your compound. You will do no such thing, screamed the woman, seizing the stem of the plant in her right hand. If you want to destroy my plant, you'll have to cut off my hand too, for I refuse to let it go. With flashing eyes, the man rushed towards his sister, and before she could move aside, he had not only severed the plant, but had also cut off her hand at the wrist. She screamed in terror, for she had never believed that even her selfish brother would do such a thing. But he turned away and went home in never a backward glance. The neighbors came rushing to her aid, bound up the wrist, and tried to comfort her. But the sister, saying she could no longer stay in the village since she feared what her brother might do to her, ran away into the forest. For several days, she slept in trees and lived on wild berries while she wandered about. When at last her arm was healed, she saw a large town in the distance and climbed up a tree to rest in safety and consider what she might do to earn her living, even though she had only one hand. The more she thought about it, the more hopeless her position seemed, and she began to weep miserably, wondering whether it would be better to die than to live. She heard voices approaching, and through the bush came a party of men who had been hunting birds. One of them was a prince, the son of a king, who reigned over the town nearby. But of course, the girl did not know this. He flung himself on the ground below the tree and calling to his attendants, he closed his eyes and said, let us rest a while. Then when we are refreshed, we shall be able to hunt with renewed vigor. The maiden in the tree above sat as still as stone, but she could not stop her tears from falling. Presently, the prince sat up and opened his eyes, exclaiming, It's beginning to rain. How very strange, in the middle of the dry season. One of his servants replied, There is no rain here, sire. And the others looked up at the cloudless blue sky to be seen through the leaves and said, There are no clouds either. Where can the rain be coming from that is falling upon the prince? Go up the tree and find out, said the prince to the youngest servant, who promptly began to climb upwards. Soon he came face to face with the weeping woman, and he was so astonished that he could think of nothing to say. So he went down again and stood before the prince, still silent. Well, questioned his master, what did you find? Why are you struck down? At last the servant managed to say, Oh, sire, I, I saw the most beautiful maiden up in the branches. But she was weeping sorrowfully, and it must have been her tears which fell upon you. At this the prince leapt up to his feet 
and climbed the tree himself, where he found the young woman and was delighted to see that she was indeed beautiful. Why are you crying? the prince said, asked her kindly. My life is so sad, she replied, that I cannot keep from weeping. But the tale would take so long to tell that I fear you would not have time to listen. The prince, now more intrigued than ever, was determined to hear the woman's story. So he replied, Come down the tree, and I will take you to my home. No one shall harm you while I am with you. My brother would harm me if he caught sight of me, said the woman. I'd best stay where I am. But the prince would not hear of it. Calling to his servant, who carried the prince's finely woven blue and white cloth, he helped the maiden cover herself from head to foot, and then led her towards the city. Once inside the palace, the woman washed and changed her clothes, so that she appeared even more beautiful than before, and the prince was determined to make her his wife. He listened to her story and then told her to have no fear, for she was now in the palace of his own father, the king. Now I have found you. I must never lose you, he said. Rest here while I go and tell my father that I am going to marry you. When the prince told his parents that he, he had brought home the woman he wished to marry, they were none too pleased to learn that he had found her weeping in the forest. But who is she, they asked. Who were her parents, and how do we know that she is a good woman who will make a suitable wife for you? You have but to look at her beautiful face to know that she is good, the prince replied. And he led his parents to the room where the maiden was resting. She rose to her feet and smiled as they approached, and from that moment the king and queen loved her. So they made a wonderful wedding feast, such as had never been seen in that country before, and all the people were astonished at the bride's beauty. But there was much whispering among the townfolk that the prince had married a woman with only one hand, and none knew whence she had come. Time passed, and the prince and princess lived happily in the palace, and their joy increased when a son was born to them. But the prince was an energetic man and a sincere one, so that when his father asked him to go on a long journey to visit the outlying places in his kingdom, the young man said goodbye to his wife and child and set off. Now all this time, the wicked brother had been wasting his money and selling his property so that now he was almost a beggar. He decided to travel away from his village to see if he could make some money the easy way by tricking fools and helpless women. It so happened that he arrived in the town where, unknown to him, his sister lived in the palace. And when he greeted a passerby with, What news, my friend? The man told him about the prince going on a journey and leaving his beautiful one-handed wife at home in the palace. What luck, thought the brother. It must be my sister. Now my future is made. 
After a few days, the brother gained an audience with the king. I have come to tell you something which may save your son's life, he said. I understand. He found a woman in the forest with only one hand and has taken her for his wife. What the prince does not know is that this woman has been driven out of many towns and villages because she is a witch. She has been married six times before this, and six times she has killed a husband by witchcraft and been hounded out of town. Once she had her hand cut off as a punishment. Do you want the same thing to happen to your son when he returns from his journey as happened to these other husbands of hers? Kill the woman now, before it is too late. Alas, sighed the king, she is so beautiful and so kind. I cannot believe what you say, and yet it is true, shouted the man. Have you not heard that witches can make themselves ugly or beautiful as they wish? I beg you, kill the woman and save your son. The king was very worried and could not make up his mind what to do. So he called his wife, and together they discussed the matter. The queen believed the wicked brother, for she was far more afraid of witchcraft than her husband, and often had felt jealous when she looked at her son's beautiful wife, so that in the end she persuaded the king to get rid of the princess and her young baby. I cannot kill them, said the king sadly but I will have them driven out of town. So he orders his soldiers to drive them away immediately. Then he rewarded the wicked brother handsomely and caused two mounds like graves to be made outside the city so that when his son came home, he could say to him, your wife and son are dead. I will show you where they are buried. Having done his evil work, the brother spent part of his reward on buying a house near the palace and with the rest of the money he began to trade again so that soon he was a wealthy man and well thought of by the king and queen but where was the beautiful woman and her baby son they had been driven into the forest so suddenly that they had nothing with them except a small cooking pot out of which the mother had been feeding the child when the soldiers carried out their orders the poor woman had no idea what she had done to be treated it in this way. For all the captain in charge of the soldiers would say was, The king orders you to leave the palace at once. If you return, you and your child will be killed. Go! The woman had fled, pursued by shouting soldiers, brandishing sticks, and had run deep into the forest with her child to collapse exhausted at the foot of a tree as night fell. All along she lay there, terrified that night of the rustlings in the undergrowth and the noisy screech of owls and other birds of prey in the branches above. But when morning came, she was surprised to find herself unharmed and her child sitting up looking eagerly around. What shall I do now? she asked herself aloud. I have neither money nor food and I do not even know which part of the forest I am in. Just then, her little son pointed a chubby finger towards a movement in the grass. And out came a snake, making straight for the child. 
The woman opened her mouth to scream, but before she could utter a sound, the snake spoke. Save me, O woman, save me, it cried. Hide me in your pot, for I am being chased by an enemy. The woman was surprised at hearing the creature speak, but she hurriedly bent down and tipped the pot sideways so that the snake could crawl inside. Then it coiled itself up at the bottom and hissed softly. Save me from the sun and I will save you from the rain. The woman had no time to ask what that meant for another snake appeared swiftly out of the long grass. Lifting its head as if to strike, it asked her, have you seen my brother passing by? Yes, she replied, pointing deeper into the forest. He went that way. So the second snake glided away among the trees and was lost to sight. Has he gone? Came a voice from the cooking pot. Yes, replied the woman, and the snake came out and lay at her feet. Fear not, I will not harm you nor your child, it said. But tell me why you are alone in this forest. I have been driven out of my house. While my husband was not there to protect me, she replied, and I have nowhere to go and nothing to eat. Follow me, said the snake. I will take you to my home and will see that nothing harms you. It is a long journey, but I promised you that I would save you from the rain if you saved me from the sun. And now I can help you as you helped me. The woman knew that she would and her son would die if they stayed in the forest alone for long. So she got to her feet, tied the child to her back and followed the snake as it glided this way and that through the forest. Presently, they came to a wide lake. We must rest here a while, said the snake. I shall sleep while you and your son bathe and refresh yourselves. The water was clear and cool, and the woman washed herself and her child. But he was a lively boy and so eager to splash and kick in the water that he slipped from his mother's arms. Having but one good hand, she found it impossible to reach him in the deep lake. She screamed. She waded up into her waist. She felt in the water again and again, but could not find him. And while at first the water had been clear and blue, now it seemed black and cloudy. Alas, alas, she sobbed as she clambered up the bank towards the place where the snake was sleeping. My child has fallen into the lake and I cannot find him. Oh, what shall I do? With which hand did you search for him, asked the snake. With my good one, of course, she said impatiently. You know that my brother cut off my right hand. How could I feel for my child with just a stump? Put in your right arm, said the snake, and you will find your child. You are cruel to make fun of me. Have I not suffered enough through the loss of my son without your mocking me because I have only one hand, she said. I am not mocking you, replied the snake. Put in both your arms, I beg you, and you will find your child. The woman decided that nothing she could do now would make matters worse. 
So she walked listlessly to the edge of the lake, stooped down, and put in both her arms. Immediately she felt the child's body floating between her arms, and lifting him, her, him out with a cry of joy, she saw that he was completely unharmed. She hugged him to her breast with joy, while he laughed and gurgled happily. Then suddenly she looked down at her right hand and discovered to her amazement that it was completely healed. Joy, joy, she shouted. I have both my hands again and my son is alive. Now let us go to my home, said the snake, uncoiling himself and beginning to move away down the path. I want all my elders to meet you so that they may thank you for saving my life by hiding me in your pot. But this reward is more than enough, said the woman, holding up her right hand for the snake to see. I need no thanks from your elders. It was a small thing I did for you, and you have done a great thing for me in return. I promised you that if you saved me from the sun, I would save you from rain, and I have not yet fulfilled all my promises, said the snake. So the woman followed the snake, for she had nowhere else to go, and by now she knew that the creature would bring her nothing but good luck. On and on they went, until at last they came to the kingdom of snakes, deep in the heart of the forest, where no man had ever been. She was treated with great courtesy, and wonderful food was provided for her and for the child every day. Throughout the time she spent there, no snake gave her any cause for fear, while the elders among the snakes thanked her again and again for saving one of their tribe. At last, the woman decided that she must take her child back into the world of men again, and she told the snake that she must leave. We shall be sorry to see you go, he said, but first come and say goodbye to my mother and father. They will offer you many precious gifts, but do not take them. Ask for my father's ring and my mother's casket and you will never want for anything as long as you live. Sure enough, when the woman went to take leave of the snake's parents, they brought out splendid gifts of cloth, gold and precious stones, which they piled on the ground before her. How can I carry all this away with me, she asked them. Keep these riches for yourself. All I ask for is your ring, O oh father, and your casket, O oh mother. How do you know about them? Our son must have told you, said the two snakes. But we will give you whatever you ask, since you saved our son from death. Then handing over the ring, the father snake said, When you are hungry, ask the ring for food, and it will be provided. The mother brought out the little carved casket and said, When you need clothes or a house, tell the casket, open the lid, 
and it will be provided. Thank you, thank you, said the woman, carefully hiding the casket among her clothes and putting the ring on her finger. Then picking up her child, she said farewell to all of the snakes and left their kingdom forever. She felt braver now, and with her right hand grown again and the ring and casket in her possession, began her journey towards the town where the prince, her husband, lived, hoping to discover whether he had yet returned from his long journey. The prince had indeed returned, and great was his sorrow when he rode up to the palace gates on his horse to be told that by his parents that his wife and child were dead. Sadly, he went to the place where the mounds of earth had been made to look like graves, and he wept and would not be comforted. For many days he stayed inside his room, seeing no one and eating scarcely anything, until his parents began to fear that he would die of grief. But they dared not tell him what had really happened to his wife. Neither would those of the palace servants who knew say a word. Oh, my beautiful wife, he sobbed, and my lovely son. Oh, that I had never left you. Then perhaps he would not have died. Early one morning, the prince stood at his window, trying to cool his fevered body in the fresh morning air. Suddenly, he noticed on the horizon a fine house that he had never seen before. And forgetting his grief for a moment, he turned to the servant who had just brought him his breakfast and asked, Who built that house? It was not here when I went away, and by its size it must belong to a very wealthy man. I cannot tell when it was built, replied the servant, for I only noticed it myself yesterday. The people in the market told me it belonged to a beautiful woman who lives there with her son and a hundred servants among untold riches. I must visit there today, said the prince, roused from his sorrow by a sudden strange desire to see this wonderful house. So the servant went hurriedly back to the king and queen and told them that their son appeared to be recovering from his grief at last and was taking an interest in the beautiful new house that they could see from the palace windows. That evening, as soon as the sun had sunk low enough to make walking comfortable, a large group of people surged out of the palace gates and made their way to the new house. The prince led the way, followed by the king and queen and a host of elders and counselors, all anxious to see this extraordinary thing which seemed to have grown in, in a night. It was, of course, the home of the woman who had let her right hand restored in the lake. She had arrived at the boundary of the town two days before and had demanded from the casket a fine house, beautiful furniture, servants, and jewels. Then she had spoken to the ring and been provided with the most delicious food, not only for herself and her son, but for all her servants as well. Now she heard the sound of many voices and the shuffling of many feet. And running quickly to the door, she saw her own dear prince, followed by his parents and an excited crowd coming towards her house. 
Quickly she asked the ring to provide food for a large feast, and soon her tables were covered with delicacies. While she went to the door to welcome her guests. With a cry, the prince ran towards her and embraced her again and again. Then he picked up his young son, who was now a sturdy little boy, and laughed delightedly. Why was it that my parents told me you were dead, he asked. Come inside and I will tell you the true story while you eat, she replied, beckoning to all those who stood near. The crowd needed no second bidding, although the king and the queen hung back and seemed afraid. We thought you were a witch, they said, and quickly told the prince how the wicked brother had deceived them. Then it was the turn of the woman to tell the guests all that had happened to her since she and her son had been driven from the palace. I am no witch, she exclaimed. The man who told those lies to the king must have been my brother. And she related how he had driven her from her house and cut off her hand long ago. The guests rose from the table as one man. Let us kill him, they shouted. He lives in this town close by the palace. Come, let us find him and slay him. Oh no, gasped the woman. Spare him his life, I beg you. Then we will drive him out of town, they said, as they hurried away to, his, to her brother's house. Then the prince, his wife, and his son went back to the palace together and lived there long and happily. She never saw her wicked brother again, and the prince commanded that no one in that place should kill any snake, for it was thanks to the snakes that his wife had been restored to him. And stars, moon, and sun, now my tale is all done. That is a beautiful story. Wow. So, a lot of people are fearful of snakes. <laughs> And I, I have to tell uh, those that are listening, when you arrived to do the show today, I don't know whether it was a baby snake or whether it was a very large worm, but it was right on the doormat as uh, you, know, you were coming in to do the show. So how interesting is that? It was like a prophecy of sorts that uh, you're going to be doing a story about a snake. So what do snakes mean to most people, other than a lot of people are just creeped out by them, <laughs> and uh, you know they don't like their little darty tongues coming in and out, and they kind of uh, look at them as something to be afraid of, uh, for fear they're going to be, I think, bitten as much as anything. Here in, we have rattlesnakes around us, we have cottonmouth uh, water moccasins, uh, pygmy rattle, as well as the bigger rattlesnakes. So, and coral. Coral snakes are quite deadly here in Florida. But I've never been afraid of a snake. And I remember years ago when I was living in Missouri, outside of St. Louis, that I came out of the garage one day and uh, there was like a threshold plate. And so I had stepped over it. And um, a lot of times, you know, Missouri has up and down kind of weather. And this was in the fall. And it had probably been chilly the night before. So the snake was actually in the sun warming itself and I stepped right over it and it was just a black snake it was probably about four feet long five feet long it's pretty good size because we lived out in the country but I really believed that it was listening to me talk to it because as I stepped over it I was like wow you are beautiful and it was cocking its head kind of back and forth 
and kept his little tongue in his mouth. <laughs> and he was really quite pretty. And then I said, well, I said, you better be on your way, you know, because this isn't a good place for you to be. And it kind of slithered off and did its own thing. So when you do that type of show, and I saw, like I said, the costumes ahead of time, mm-hmm. beautiful ways for the kids to get into this. And they made those puppets, yes. the snakes. They made, mm-hmm. But what did they think of the story and the lesson that that story taught them? It's, that's an excellent question. Um, I were, the children were very familiar with fairy tales, folk tales, myths, and legends because in a Waldorf, the Waldorf curriculum, mm-hmm. that's what they're um, given since kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And so they recognize that these characters are not separate people. They are characters, each, they're aspects of our ourselves. Right. Each character lives within each one of us. So the selfish part of us and the giving mm-hmm. part of us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. So they recognize the symbology uh-huh. you know, and they recognize that it had to do with a certain uh, our own struggles, our own journeys in um, in our growth, right? As, as individuals, as um, and how we recognize our, re- our inner resources. Right. So as you see in this particular story, the choices between objects or a blessing, mm-hmm. and the the brother mistakes the um, that thinks that all objects are his property, mm-hmm. even though the his sisters, what he perceives as objects are coming from her blessing. Right. right. He only recognizes them as material objects. Right. So that's a, a large lesson in the story. Right. What is more important? To be gathering things, uh-huh. or to be recognizing one's inner resources, right? right? And how they have a more sustaining ability, you know, for us uh-huh. and in our lives, you know, to recognize our own qualities and what we each have to bring. So the children know these things. You know, they tend to. You, you some of it you have talk to them about and dialogue with them about uh-huh. and ask them what they think too. Uh-huh. And then you and then. We talked a bit about what snakes represented in that culture, mm-hmm. because obviously in our culture they represent get rid of them or move them out in a way that they get you know um, we don't have to deal with them. But right. in if you're looking at native people cultures with totems or in the um, in certain African cultures where they look at them that way, snakes are for example that snake that crossed your threshold. Yes. Right? Yes. It's. Um, that would be considered that you may, you may be about to step into the unknown and need guidance, perhaps. Mm-hmm. The snake is asking us to move forward with faith and remain grounded as the snake does. That is something to just ponder. Does that feel right? Does that feel like that's what's coming towards uh-huh. one? Uh-huh. And the snake sheds its skin. What is that but transformation? Right. What it's it just represents. like a butterfly in a cocoon, yes. you know, with the caterpillar becoming a butterfly, mm-hmm. right? And at, the, at these times, very much, you know, the it's the snake can be, one could think um, this time where it is asking of us, unprecedented, the ability to adapt and mm-hmm. to um, that the snake is considered a powerful healer, a symbol of rebirth, and also um, its medicine works through Alchemy, reproduction, and also through accepting change. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's why I thought it might be nice to share today. And, and I wasn't at performance level, but I just uh-huh. wanted you to hear, you know, the, the thread of the story and how right. it moves. You know, what I found really super interesting with this, too, is 
the parents were so easily deceived mm-hmm. uh, because the mother was afraid of witchcraft. Yes. Much more so than the king. Yes. And so the fact that, you know, her fear then controlled the decision. Thank goodness he didn't want to kill them, mm-hmm. as the brother had said, and was willing to... It, it reminded me of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Or, yes, you know, that there is kind a similar, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, they she didn't have to die. You mm-hmm. know, the child didn't have to die. But they had to be transformed. And so, you know, the fact that she willingly allowed the snake to crawl into the pot and saved it she was listening from her heart Mm -hmm. and not from her intellect and that's Mm -hmm. something i do talk about on the show a lot is we have forty thousand brain cells in our heart and if we learn to listen from our heart that's our intuition it will guide us every single time in in the right direction but when we come from the intellect which we tend to do 95 percent of the time then we get into all of these problem areas, you know, mm-hmm. where the decision mm-hmm. wasn't the best decision for us to make, and yet we made it because so-and-so said it was the right thing to do. So in this case, you know, the brother that was representing all that was evil, um, talk them into something, you know, to, you know, here, this is the direction you need to go because do you want your son to die? So it was all fear-based. Very much, yes. So Interesting. How, yeah, just very fascinating how... And that's what we've had to deal with in 2020, and now half of 2021, is a lot of fear-based kind of thinking, you know, that it doesn't seem to want to go away. And so if we can learn to go within, like she had to do, then we'll find our answers. We'll find what's best for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the kids, when they were putting the play on, you know, because they obviously... um, enjoyed I'm sure you know taking on the different roles how did they feel about being the snake you know because they had that puppet so did they like being um, you know a snake for good and not a snake that might be for evil well they very much enjoyed it and they also enjoyed moving them about the uh-huh. room. we were able to perform it in a large space oh, okay so they each had a, a, an area that they could slither about in you know it, it, in snake country uh-huh, uh-huh. and um Yes, they and they they loved the ability to make their own. You know, uh-huh. so they 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 painted the silk. They could choose whatever colors they wished. You know, to make their snake. One of the parents helped me sew the the skin mm-hmm. of the snake mm-hmm. right out of the silk. And so then, um, and that they with their costumes, we they cut out potatoes and created a potato print oh, cool. on their particular costume. So that, you know. They had a part in making that as well. So that represented the scales, basically, on the snake, I would think. You know, the scaling. Because every snake has its own pattern. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Or did you guys think about that when you were making the potato? Oh, well, but the potato, that was for their captains. You know, they, they, oh, their wraps that they oh, put around wraps. them. I'm sorry, I kind okay. of, like, changed in, okay. there in the, in the yeah. middle with you. But but, um, but, but you can see, you as looked at some of the patterns that they painted on the snakes, mm-hmm. that they were thinking of some of the snakes you mentioned. Yeah. The ones that we perceive as being poisonous. Right. You know, um, so, and, or, yeah, and created them very colorful and... Now, I noticed as you were reading it and in snake language, yes. when you were the snake, um, were these asp snakes? You know, there is a snake that is referred to as an asp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or what kind of snake was this supposed to be? 
Um, we didn't decide. I think we were looking at more of an archetypal type of okay. snake, okay. snake ness. Okay. But again, using more snake medicine as right. opposed to the Judeo um, image of the snake being, you know, in the Garden of Eden. Eden. Yeah. But it, but this being a different type of um, archetypal picture right. of the the transformation the but just snakeness mm-hmm. so that's why the children did play with that those who were the who played the king and queen snake mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the other they did play with their s's in that yeah, way right. to make it sound snaky snaky right <laughs> yes. well, that's cool because I, I don't, I mean, like, it's an African story, right? Yes, East African. So uh-huh. what kind of snakes do they have in East Africa? I don't even know. Boa constrictors, maybe? Um, I was did some quick, um, they, they, they do have a number of poisonous snakes there. Mm-hmm. You know, so it certainly wouldn't have been a surprise, right, for them to have, have you know, been afraid of some, mm-hmm, them, mm-hmm. Um, depending on the culture. But I, I, that I honestly couldn't answer yeah. to tell you exactly what. I do know in the Native people culture in, our, in the United States that um, there are tribes that are not afraid of snakes, mm-hmm. and the, the, including the rattlesnakes, and the rattlesnakes will not bite them. Mm-hmm. Um, may I tell a story that I know a true story about a sure. friend of mine? who sure. A friend of mine who loved to camp, at, lived in California, um, and she had brought her kindergarten class out and the families. In, out into a desert area in California to set up their tents and camp. But she knew that sometimes rattlesnakes would go through there. And so she said, children, you might see a rattlesnake. And if you do, you don't have to be afraid. Just hold hands and very softly say, oh dear Mr. Rattlesnake, we aren't here to frighten you. We'll be on our way. And just very slowly, you can move back or stand in, you know, and stand you know, very, very quietly and st- mm-hmm. or stand very, very still. And so they continued to set up the tents and get the fire going, and all of a sudden these children hold hands, and they start saying, Dear Mr. Rattlesnake, we don't mean to scare you. We'll just be right here. We will. And they were very quiet and very calm, and the rattlesnake just slithered away. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating, because mm-hmm. I do believe, I think all animals have the ability to see and feel vibrational frequencies, mm-hmm. which is what we are. You know, we're just, all of our little atoms are, are constantly vibrating. And <clears throat> I always tell people we're in this uh, virtual bodysuit. So, you know, it holds us together. <laughs> and um, from the time of birth, we, mm-hmm. we're babies in it. But then our suit stretches. We do, we're like the snail, which is really cool. A snail never, ever has to give up its house. It just grows a bigger house as the snail grows. And so that's kind of what we do, is we grow bigger houses for our vibrational frequencies until such time as we don't need our bodies anymore. And then we move on into that spirit world. But I think animals can sense that. They, they feel our frequencies and they know when we're here to do harm or when we're here to do good. And they can, they're drawn to it. And I've told people on the show before, you know, how I was able to feed um, a wild deer back at the end of last October. And I just had uh, like a quarter of an apple in my hand. And this deer moved toward me and, and did little bowing motions until it reached my hand. And then, she, you know, she took it right from my hand. Um, if she had sensed for one second that I was going to do her harm, she would never have approached. 
but somehow, you know, they read that, they understand that, okay, this person has something that looks delicious, and I think I'd like to have it, and I know that she's not going to do me any harm. So I would think, um, you know, there are stories, I, I'm trying to remember where I even heard this one, but I remember babies that were playing with, you know, the vipers, you, the ones that are like cobras, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, that the vipers, you know, were not going to harm mm -hmm. the infant at all. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the adults, because they have this fear-based thinking going on, would be terrified that, oh my gosh, that, that baby is dead. So it's, it's totally fascinating how our stories that we grow up with, regardless of the culture, have this beautiful lesson always buried within the story. It's just a matter of looking for it. Mm -hmm. So I, I think this has been very cool to be able to talk about um, you know, the, the way puppetry brings. It's, so, it's got to be so much more rewarding to do it as a play with children taking the parts mm -hmm. than just reading a story, you know, story time reading. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's fun. Yes, but it's fun. It, but this it's takes not it to same. a whole different level, yeah, right? Absolutely, because then it becomes real. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. anything that's real, they're going to always have that. I mean, it's buried in their long term memory. Mm -hmm. And so someday when they're, you know, grandparents, maybe they'll dig up the story and tell the story. I um, studied. An for a number of years, African dance of different types and uh -huh. African drumming and Af and songs from different areas in Africa. So it was a nice opportunity to give them a deeper sense of the culture as well uh -huh. to to learn some to learn some dances and learn some songs. And um, they loved. We all got up at the end and and um, had there was a lovely wedding dance oh, near okay. the end of the story as uh -huh. they as they're marrying. Uh -huh. So that was um, it was a nice special time to share with them to get up there all together and and, and dance hmm. yeah mm -hmm. I remember you telling me when we did the first show together that you have actually you and your husband have done uh, like a, a puppet kind of a program for weddings yes yes so how does that work well um, actually it ended up being for our wedding oh okay a, a friend of mine had written um, a, another verse to the nut tree the song I had a little nut tree um, I had a little nut tree, nothing would it bear, but a silver nutmeg and a golden pear. The king of Spain's daughter came to visit me, all for the sake of my little nut tree. And then it talks about the, the princess who came, the king of Spain's daughter, and describes her. And then he asks her to marry him, and she says, yes, I'll marry thee. So that's what we shared for our wedding. So you that, did the play? Yes. Oh my goodness, yes. as part of the ceremony. As part of our ceremony. Oh my goodness. We had um, a, put out a, a rug, a beautiful oriental style rug, and, the, and called the children up. Mm -hmm. And they sat there while we um, sang and shared the puppets. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful way to uh, do a wedding. And nobody's asked you to do anything like that since? I haven't put that up on my site, interestingly enough, as you say that right mm -hmm. you know but yes definitely you can share puppetry for weddings i yeah. just think that would be such a cool thing to do it'd be it'd be so untraditional mm -hmm. and yet so meaningful because um of, again of the way the stories can unfold and it, it's not just your typical ceremony but it would be something that 
I think people out there, if they want to have Connie <laughs> do a puppetry program for an upcoming wedding, please get hold of her. <laughs> I think that would be fabulous. Well, again, I want to thank you very, very much for being my guest. I loved the story. I hope everyone else loved it as much as I did and can see how puppetry, you know, brings lessons alive is the way I would look at it. Yes, that's a beautiful way of saying it. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's magical. Let's just put it that way. So tell people how they can reach you. I'm going to have it all up on the different platforms, how they mm-hmm. can. But mm-hmm. for those listening, maybe with pen in hand and a piece of paper, how can they get hold of you? I have a Facebook page under Starlight Puppets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I also have a website. It's actually a blog spot. So it's um, Starlight Puppets, spelt Ah, S-T-A-R-L-I-T-E, Starlight that way, S-T-A-R-L-I-T-E, puppets, um, dot blogspot.com. So those are my two platforms that I have. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So please uh, check it out. I've, you know, looked at it and explored it, and it's a beautiful site it really is you have a lot of uh, great pictures and stories and everything right there so thank you it's awesome well i hope everybody goes out there and truly does make this your very very best life and uh, connie will be back with me in september Mm -hmm. Uh, it's hard to believe that um, school will be resuming at that point (laughs) we just got done with it and you know but Uh, My shows are booked out pretty far in advance anymore, which is lovely because I do believe I have some of the most creative individuals in this part of uh, Florida and then now stretching pretty much across the United States and out into Hawaii. So come back and visit us again on another Synergy Connection show. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.